many of you have a picture in your phone that dates back at least 10 years? Raise your hand. Anybody? All right. Let's say 20 years. Anybody? Anybody holding on to a photo from at least 20 years ago? How about 30 years ago? I got a hand in the booth. I got a hand over here. I got a hand, got a hand, got a hand, 35, 35, got a 40, 40, 40, 40, 35, 40. So why do you hang on to those? Somebody just mentioned it as, as I was, we were kind of passing out there. I just had a picture of my daughter Jericho pop up in my Facebook feed that I had lost personally. So that's one of the redeeming, perfect word there, one of the redeeming qualities of Facebook is that I got this picture back that I love. It is my favorite picture of my daughter and, uh, because it is her. Right? To the rest of you, you would look at it and you say, okay, she's on a soccer field, she's squinting into the sun, and uh, she's wearing her uniform, and she looks really, really mad. And to me, it means so much more. It represents so much more. It is the quintessence of my daughter's personality and her competitive nature. She probably was telling our team what to do, but... Because I know her so well, she was probably telling the other team what to do. Um, so it means so much more. And when you have those photo albums or you have those pictures, how many of you just gloss over them? Right? Like you're just, boom, picture, boom, picture, boom, picture. I saw it, I acknowledge it, I'm over. Right? Any of you that way? No, most of us, we look at the picture our cognitive abilities and our vision has captured everything we need to capture. We've got it. It's uh, reinstated the indelible memory. We're good. Move on. But most of us, we don't do that, do we? We sit and we contemplate what that picture represents. There's a deeper meaning here that these snapshots in our life, they're are deeper meanings at play. And that's kind of where we're at in chapter one today, is that James is giving us a snapshot of what's to come throughout the rest of the book. He's gonna do a quick hit, like you're thumbing through your pictures and you're just seeing, you're scrolling right, scrolling right, scrolling right, and, and you're getting these reminders, and then later in the book, later in, in his letter, he's going to develop this. Right? So I just wanted to share real quickly. I was kind of thinking through some pictures that I have. And so, you know, there is that one famous picture. Um, I couldn't help it. I had to put it up there. Prius, uh, get happy, Cam. Boy, did I get happy. Um, for those of you that are new, it's a picture of me at a church baseball game. And we invited Mike Trout, the world's greatest baseball player, to come to our baseball game. And he showed up, and he hit a ball right at me, and I just caught it barehanded. It's an incredible story. I'll tell you about it some other time. Uh, the upper right picture is our venerable Bob Huffman. And does anybody recognize who he's standing with? Jerry West. How many of you knew that Bob Huffman... I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. How many of you knew that Jerry West knows Bob Huffman? Right? And so how many of you are thinking, okay, what's the story there? Right? There's some deeper stuff going on there. The other picture is of my mom that I never met. That's Margot Zier. And if you don't think, when I look at that picture, that there is a 
long contemplative process, then give me five hours alone with you at some point in time. These are snapshots. And so this morning, that kind of predicates where we're going to be in the scripture. Let me take you to a story. And I was thinking about the Wizard of Oz and the magnification of what has happened in our society these days. This should be termed a horror movie at this point for anybody under the age of 12, based off of uh, what is PC and, you know, all those things. So for us, I think I was like six years old the first time I saw uh, The Wizard of Oz. How many of you are familiar with this story in this movie? Okay, so the majority of you. Okay, I'm going to test you. Let's just take a snapshot and see if you really know the full story. I can give you this picture, and it takes you to another place, right? So let's see if this, in theory, actually works. All I want you to do is finish this statement. You ready? Dorothy, this isn't... Well done. Did somebody say Connecticut? <laughs> yes, that is correct. This isn't Kansas anymore. All right. Uh, hello, my... Ooh, gave me chills, Gary. <laughs> Somebody's really reliving it right now. Yes. Hello, my pretty. I say it to my wife all the time. Man, I don't encourage you to do it in that manner. Just say, you look great, babe. But, you know, when you say, hello, my pretty, it might not go well for you. Uh, how about this? I wish I had, this is a little harder, some deep knowledge. I wish I had a, a heart. A heart. He may have said a brain at some point in time, but the, the quote from the movie is, I wish I had a heart. Okay, you're doing pretty good. And then just to finish the piece de resistance, how many of you knew I knew Czechoslovakian? I'm just going to let that linger out there because it should have got a little bit more. I want to see how awake you are. Are you ready? There's no place. Big finale. Big finale. You guys hit it out of the park. So I'm just giving you a snapshot, but you're able to fill in the background, aren't you? And the details, how many of you were picturing where you were the first time you saw that movie or a favorite place when you saw that movie? Yeah, Trinity. And so what James is doing this morning in the first chapter of this epistle is he's giving you a snapshot. Cliff notes, right? Anybody remember cliff notes? He's giving you cliff notes to what is coming. So we're not going to, if you start to get frustrated because Pastor Jer hasn't given you an in-depth rendering... It's because it's coming, and I don't want to steal the thunder. I'm just going to borrow the pattern from James, okay? So as we move forward this morning, let me read the text. I can't put it all up on the screen, but the title of the sermon, you have sermon notes today, sermon notes that have life, uh, life group notes attached, but there's fill in the blank, and so we'll get to that, but we're in James chapter 1. And we're verses 5 through 18. I'm just going to leave the 16 and 18 up there. But uh, join with me as I read this from the scriptures. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. 
and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person should not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts No one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of a first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Now, you can see my challenge that there's a lot to unpack there. And so how do we start to unpack this? Think about this statement by the wizard, right? That there are so many deeper meanings to stories and to movies. If they're written well and the ones that stand the test of time, it's representative of what we all struggle with in our humanity, right? And so at the end, I use a term from the movie Wizard of Oz often. Pull back the curtain. When I say pull back the curtain, what am I saying? in relation to that story. Any thoughts? Raise your hand if you think you you understand where I'm going with that. Yes, Becky, what what do you think I'm saying? Yeah, expose the truth, right? To pull back the curtain. You remember the scene? (laughs) They pull back the curtain, the great and powerful Oz is just a senior citizen throwing lovers, right? Not to, you know, yes, well done. Not to demise senior citizens, but it's not this gigantic cloud of green, emerald, you know, Mysterio kind of force. It's a man, and he's pulling levers. Do you ever feel like that's happening in your life? That there are individuals all around you that are behind a curtain pulling levers, manipulating the situation. I'll just let that hang out there, because I'm sure all of us have our own thoughts on that. So in the movie, or in the book, 
The wizard says this, a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. Personally, I think that's a little counterintuitive to who Jesus was and what agape love is. But we're going to go with this for the sake of what we're going to look at this morning and how to arrive at that. If you were to throw out a concept as to one word that captures the emphasis of the book of James, what would it be? Anybody? You're all, you're all so scared. I don't want to get the wrong answer. You can say anything. There's no wrong answers. You know, we're a modern university here. There you go. This book is about faith. And in some ways, like I said last week, there are those that think that the book of James, James being the brother of Jesus, this is probably one of the first letters that was canonized into Scripture as inspired by the Lord. And yet it seems to work counterintuitive to all that Paul wrote, that it's not by works. You are justified by what? By your faith. And yet James will remind us over and over and over that it is about faith demonstrated through works is the evidence of God in your life. Conversely, turn that syllogism around and say, if I say I'm a believer, but there's no evidence of faith in my life, do I really have God in my life? That's one of the most important things for us to capture and wrestle with when studying the book of James. So as we look at this, the title of the sermon is Proverbial James or Perennial Faith. And James gives us these kind of proverbs here. From from verse 5 to verse 18, he's giving us these conceptual principles that he's going to develop later in the book in great detail. But it's almost like you're reading the book of Proverbs here in these, you know, eight or nine verses. So it made me think, let's, let's start to categorize really what he's speaking about. And let's take a snapshot, if you will... And then contemplate in our own lives, how do we take these proverbial areas that James lists in context to faith being worked out because of God in us, how does that work out to perennial faith? So we have to start with wisdom. And so he says what about wisdom? If any of you is abundant in wisdom, hang on to it, because it's pretty rare. Right? That's the Jer version. What James says is this. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. Women, gals, how many of your men lack wisdom? Don't do it. Because I got one chambered for the guys about you later on. So, you know, fair. Fair is fair. But think about all those intersections in our life. Maybe it was just even this past week. Maybe it was this morning. Where there is a regret. I wish I hadn't. I wish I knew what I didn't know. 
I wish the knowledge was paired with experience. I wish somebody who truly understood spoke into my question. Have you been there? I've been there. Almost every day I'm there. Who's the number one person we should seek counsel from and look for that wisdom from, says James? It's the Lord. And you're going to find that counsel in two ways. One, in the Scripture. Secondly, through prayer, the interactive part of our communication with God. And I know that sometimes when that is stated by individuals like me speaking into your life or individuals like me speaking into my life, what tends to happen is I say, okay, so you say prayer. I, I, I get the word. I can glean from the word. But prayer, I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing dialogue here. A big part of that challenge is we don't really pay attention. We don't really pay attention. I've had a glorious week. Because I've had things hanging over my head that I just want to respond. I feel like my leadership is, is horrible. I'm in conflict with myself. Can you relate to that? And there's, there's something that I really, truly live by, this no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. And I just, if, if I end up with regret, it eats me up, it tears me up. So this, if anyone lacks wisdom, but what a great thing, and this is how I interpret it. When those, when those areas come up in my life that there's a hesitation because I know what it means to respond in my flesh. Do you know what it means to respond in your flesh? So we'll hold off. We can meet that on the first front. The second front, I go to Scripture and I find a verse in Isaiah where it says, Yes, destroy your enemy. Call fire from heaven upon his very soul. That works for me. So, let's go, Jesus. Destroy, you know. Hang on. Because you know Romans 12 that says, Do not take revenge, for it is mine to repay, saith the Lord. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon your enemy's head. That's why it's so important to know the whole counsel of Scripture, right? Not just go find a verse, Google, you know, retribution upon my enemy, and then look for Scripture that justifies what you want to do in your flesh. Brothers and sisters, if any of us lacks wisdom, the first place to start is look at the life of Christ in the Gospels. Look at how he approached every situation under heaven and earth. And so I come up against those moments and I cry out and I say, Lord, how long, right? Psalm 40, how long, how long? And the Lord will speak through someone or the Lord will speak to my soul, not through an audible voice, but through a reminder of Scripture or a reminder of His work in my life previously or a sense of peace that goes beyond all understanding. Right? Now, I didn't just say that. That's not a Jer quote. That's a Philippians quote, right? Some of you are tracking with that. This is how the gleaning of wisdom works in our lives. This week, I've had three or four major things that have been hanging over me, and the tension of regret just wants to shut me down. And God answered all of those things. And there's so much confidence 
in the fact that I followed, and it required what? What's the key word here, Philip? What's the key word with the book of James? Faith. It required faith because in my economy, I should do this. That's what leadership looks like. What a great and glorious thing to do something that seems ambiguous to other people, but it's like you know the details, right? You know what's coming because you've asked for wisdom from God. And so he promises if you lack wisdom, what should you do? You should ask. And he gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. By the way, that's a beautiful picture of God's character. Right? It's a beautiful picture of God's character. One of my children recently, there was an, there was an article that had been given to me. And uh, uh, I didn't really use it that much. And so um, they really were excited about it. And they were really liking it. And so I was just kind of messing around. <laughs> so I said, yeah, you can buy it off me. I just wanted to see if they would call out my hypocrisy. And, and they came back to me and they handed me like $200 or whatever it was. I'm like, I'm just kidding. I didn't, you know, here, you use it. But they insisted and they gave me the $200. Like, all right, thank you, Jesus. Now that's wisdom. Getting some payback from your children, right? No. Some of you, you're like, my character just went in the toilet, right? (laughs) No, no, we we worked it out. We worked it out. It, It was a happy story in the end. But the idea is that God doesn't give that way. He gives generously, is what James is saying. You ever been on the other end of that? Hello, God. Pastor said you give generously. I'm still waiting a month out. Because we're not seeing, we're not familiar with his character. We're not seeing how God gives over and over and over and over. And then when those moments happen where he specifically gives What we were specifically asking for, in accordance with his will, did we align with him and recognize when he did that and give him praise? And then chamber it so that it informs our our experience, it informs our life, it informs our pattern of thinking and living and faith. Faith. Oh, sorry. Proverbial James, wisdom, asking it is given. Secondly, faith, the the contingency to spiritual vitality. Uh, Verses 6 through 8 says this, but let him ask in what? Faith. Now faith is the evidence of things not seen. And being sure of what has not happened yet. But let him ask in faith with A small percentage of doubt. It's not what it says. Ask without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. When you ask someone within your family or someone close to you and you have a certain faith that they will respond in a certain manner 
Are you shocked when that does not happen? You should be. This is the characteristic that God is saying through James, understand my character. Understand who I am. And if you truly understand who I am, then it shapes your faith. And so James is giving us this proverb and he's saying, this is who God is. Ask without doubting. But if you're going to doubt, you shouldn't expect anything. There's an obvious tension there, isn't it? That, okay, I, I expect this, and then it doesn't happen. Well, there's other parts of Scripture that we've got to know the character of God, that there are things we ask for we have no business having, right? So we have to understand the context of what it means to ask with wisdom. Well, that's why James says, if you're lacking in the wisdom on how to ask, seek him. I've not met the person yet that who is in a true and honest pursuit of God's will and is looking for that wisdom that they are defeated in their faith because their request didn't happen like that. You see, as we live this Christian life and we ask without doubting, then the Spirit works in our heart. We start to understand a deeper understanding and resonance of the character of God. And that then, in fact, drives our wisdom and grows our wisdom so that we no longer what? Doubt. James knows what he's talking about. Faith, the contingency to spiritual vitality. You have to have the faith to seek that wisdom and to ask in accordance with his will. But you cannot waver. You cannot be Peter who takes his eyes off of Jesus and looks to the waves. And then what happens? He starts sinking. Did Peter pull himself up out of the, the sea? No, Jesus did in his grace and his mercy reminding Peter who has the ability, right? So faith is the contingency to spiritual vitality. We cannot forget this. Class war, rich or poor in God's economy, we don't think in these terms very often. I don't think in these terms very often, maybe. Or maybe I don't think as much in these terms. How many of you ever thought about, now this is a rhetorical question, so don't respond, but how many of you have ever been pressured to think about your position in society? Are you seen as poor or are you seen as rich? You know, Scripture in its wisdom tells us that all of that is fleeting. What does he say? It's like the, the flower and the grass, right? It's like the flower and the grass, verse 10 and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will what? He'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Now that sounds great on a certain level. On a whole other level, if you're in need, you're saying, yeah, but I could just use a little bit and I, w I won't fade. I could just use a little bit more and I won't fade. You know there are no contingencies on the grace of God. It doesn't matter what the social or socioeconomic stature is here on earth when it comes to the free gift of redemption and the grace of Jesus Christ. That is one of the secrets as to why the church just proliferated. Because there was huge class and, and socioeconomic separation at the time that this was written. And yet the church broke all that down 
And some of it, because of what James is addressing here, proverbially, he's saying, in God's economy, there is no rich or poor. And if you think there is, then God's going to humble the rich and he's going to exalt the poor. The bigger question for you and I today in our faith, the proverb begs that we consider looking at a snapshot of our life right now. If someone took a snapshot of you right now, what would it represent? Someone who feels like you're living the abundant full life in Jesus Christ? Or someone who bemoans the challenges, the circumstantial challenges that happen day in, day out? In Jesus Christ, as part of the bride of Christ, you are privileged without hesitation or barrier to full access to the throne of God. Amen? There aren't going to be bad neighborhoods in heaven. Unfortunately, here is where we live now. But he gives us this as an illustration to say Don't use this as an excuse. Because in God's economy, He can do anything He wants with those who are in need, and He can humble those who have more than they should have. And that shouldn't be the focus right now anyway. So, rich or poor in God's economy, if you know Jesus Christ, you're rich, my friends. You are rich. Lastly, temptation. He goes into this great explanation. You really need to underline this in your scripture because it, it uh, delineates how we face trials. Remember last week, consider it pure joy when you face what? Trials of many kinds. Now he's using the same Greek word here, but we transliterate it what? Temptation. Remember I told you last week that this can be, this can be interpreted or, or um, interposed with The idea of even discipline or a proof of something, like a mathematical proof or a test or a trial or a temptation. Here, the context drives what the the actual word means, and what James is trying to say is those things that lead to sin, not necessarily the trial that causes challenge, discipline, leaning on the Lord's strength, but things that nefariously seek to destroy you. And he gives a beautiful picture of how this happens. And we'll pick it up in verse 14. Before I get there, just understand, he goes to a a, a great length to say, number one, blessed is the man. Blessed means happy. Blessed or happy is the man who perseveres, stands firm. Second time he's used that in about 18 verses. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, and he will receive what? The crown of life. Some of you, that gets you really excited. Some of you are thinking, I don't look good in hats. Okay? Look, when when we get those crowns, I don't think we're going to be concerned with appearance. I think I'm going to be extremely concerned as to whether or not I have something to lay down before my Lord. And so James gives this parenthetical or proverbial thought, blessed is the man, happy is the man who perseveres under trial. That doesn't mean it's not rough. It doesn't mean that you've got everything laid out. But in the end, you get to where God wants you to be. 
right? Blessed is that man, for he will receive what? The crown of life. Perseverance is incredibly important. And so he goes on to say, first of all, God is not tempted by evil. So there's something about theology and the character of God. Understand that. Secondly, he says, God cannot tempt someone. And so I don't have time to blow that out. That's a three-part series in and of itself. Just remember, it's a proverb. It's a snapshot. Go look and dive deeper with this later this week. But God cannot tempt anybody. Go to the book of Job. Do a study on the book of Job. And, and you'll come to a deeper understanding of this statement that James has. When, when Jesus warns Peter, does he say, Peter, I'm praying for you because I plan on tempting you. Does he say, Peter, I'm praying for you because the Father plans on tempting you. Who does he say plans on sifting him or tempting him? Satan. So the question here is temptation. Is it Satan? Is it me? Or is it God? Well, we can eliminate God because James is emphatic with his language here. God does not tempt anybody. So can we just all agree to stop screaming out to God saying, you know, why are you doing this to me? If you feel that way, then the proper response in faith, without doubting, is to say, God, whatever you're doing in my life, according to your will, complete that work, Philippians 1. Complete that work in me, so that I may be presented, what? Mature. And here it is. Sorry, I got to go there every single week, and I finally got to it. Lacking in what? Nothing. Lacking in nothing. Now these other areas, it can be Satan or it can be me. And by the way, mark it down, Ephesians 2 at the beginning of the chapter speaks to this delineation as well. But look at it. Here's this beautiful outline of, of, and presentation of how we go through temptation. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Stop, stop yelling, the devil made me do it. I want you to picture, right? no, I can't do that because then I'm asking you to embark on a potentially sinful thought. How do I do this? I'm in a conundrum. I'm in a preaching conundrum. Did you know those exist? How do I help you wrestle with the idea of whatever it is in your life right now that you're, there's tension up here and you are focusing on when you shouldn't be focusing on it? That your own desire is drawing you to concentrate on something you shouldn't. Eve never should have had a conversation. It's as simple as God said, don't do it. We're not here to rationalize, we're not here to justify, we're not here to quantify, qualify all the fi-fis. Uh, Eve never should have had the conversation. But each person is tempted when he, or she, let's be fair, when he is lured and enticed. You want to know when this is happening? Those two words are really powerful modifiers. Lured and enticed. My brother-in-law, Alan, is an incredible fisherman. And he starts to describe why he's catching fish and I'm not on certain days. 
and the presentation that he's doing. I can't, he, he gets into it and I just stop. And then if you can get past Alan and figure all that out, then you have to have a conversation with Carl Johnson. And, and that, will, that will blow your mind. Allure becomes attractive and throws a fish off its course into danger. But there is something inside that takes over, that becomes the dominating thought, the dominating desire. And it isn't instant, it's progressive. I know that by all the hits that I get on my lure and never actually catch the fish. Somewhere in the middle of that experience, it nibbles, it nibbles, it nibbles, and then it realizes, danger, Will Rogers, run away. This is what we need to do. This is what James is saying. And then he continues the thought, so you're tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. So it goes from our own thoughts to desire, and then when desire is what? When it is born? When it's conceived? Right? When it's given the opportunity to germinate, when it's given fertile ground to grow by choice, then it leads to what? To sin. And then the last point that James makes is, and then sin leads to what? Death. Mark that in your scriptures. That's one of the best things James gives us out of this book. And here, he does do a pretty good job, but he's going to get into a much clearer definition of this later on in in chapter 4. So what do we do with this? Well, we need to respond. Rather than just, you know, the idea in the book of James is that faith is demonstrated through our what? Through our lives. Through action. So what we tend to do, and, and I'm going to do my best here, is to help us counter this. What we tend to do here in the American church is we come, we listen to a TED talk for about 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 80 minutes if you're in my congregation. And you, you go through that process and then you go home. And you might talk about the points that you liked. But we're not there to really make it fertilize our life and change and cause real growth. We're there just to listen. And in some places, we're there just to be entertained. And if the pastor's funny enough, or the pastor dresses cool enough, or if the pastor says things that are relevant enough, then... We'll come back and we'll sit for the show next week. Brothers and sisters, there's no greater desire by the Holy Spirit and by your pastor than we apply. We not be mere hearers of the word, but that we are what? Doers of the word. And you're going to hear this in just a few moments through our, our missions month focus. So, perennial faith. The Proverbs, or the proverbial James, leads to a response of perennial faith. Ready? Seek God's wisdom in a major decision this week. Any of you have major decisions coming this week? If you don't, you will. So I encourage you, put this to the test, but do not doubt. Lean on God's character. If he says he is this, he is this. 
And so consider those things by taking steps. Here it is. Sometimes this is all ambiguous, Pastor. What do you mean? Very clearly, by taking a step of faith and asking God to show you what to do. This will deepen your spiritual walk and bring spiritual vitality to your life. Next, focus on a promise from God. Then fully expect it to happen. What, what's a promise? Well, you already heard one, right? In verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to ask. You're supposed to ask. Look up promises of God. Google it. There's a great... Uh, uh, there's multiple books that have been uh, published on the promises of God. Pick it up. Because then you start to understand the character of God himself. And that deepens the spiritual vitality of your faith. Next, make a calculated shift in how you live. Make a calculated shift in how you live. You want to have perennial faith? You've got to walk by faith. You've got to make choices in faith. Lastly, measure your temptation. Recognize those three stages. Know why you're doing what you're doing. And if there are things that are roaming around up here or maybe in the heart that probably are not faith-based or God-centric, theocentric, run it by someone you respect spiritually. Now, how many of you thought of a person when I said that? Isn't that fascinating? Let me help you with the whole element of who you respect spiritually. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Then go to Scripture. Then prayer. And then, if you're still lacking in wisdom, then come to somebody that you see that is exemplifying walking in faith without doubt. Right? Doesn't that make sense? You got a broken pipe? <laughs> Sorry, commercial just ran through my head randomly. Remember AD do? Oh, that might be way before. Maybe it was just a Los Angeles thing. It was a horrible commercial about this plumber. Got a broken pipe? AD do. You know, sorry. That was so squirrel. That was really, really squirrel. But that brings up God's in this because that brought up a point. I'm coming over Bailey today and I'm driving down here in the flats, coming to the intersection, and there's, car, there's so much traffic and a squirrel runs out and he makes it through the three tires of the car in front of me and then he just, there's children in the room, I'm just going to say it didn't go well with the oncoming traffic. That squirrel lacked wisdom. He might have had all the faith in the world, but folks, faith without wisdom gets you stuck on Bailey Road. Literally, with your tail twitching but nothing else. Was that too much? Well, I just wanted to stick with you. This week, we need to live the perennial faith. Let me finish by saying this. Faith is an ongoing, ever-growing adventure leading to the glorious halls of heaven. Follow the yellow brick road, pull back the curtain, and you won't be disappointed. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for these nuggets of wisdom that you give to us. 
But Lord, that wisdom is pointless if we do not act in faith with what you give us. If we don't understand the character of who you are so that we can measure the advice that is given and that we can act in good wisdom and not bad advice. Father, help us to make choices, active choices, to walk in faith this week that changes our spiritual vitality. Let us be a people that have an influence in heaven, earth, and hell. To you be all glory, Father. Amen.